0: Welcome to the Soccer Life Goals Podcast with your host, Noah Niemeyer. The Soccer Interview Podcast with fresh content bringing you exclusive interviews with soccer players and growing soccer fan base around the world. Whether you call it football or soccer, be inspired and encouraged, both on and off the pitch. Welcome back to another episode of the Soccer Life Goals Podcast. Remember, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at the Soccer Life Goals Podcast. Today, I'm excited to interview our guest, MLS goalkeeper veteran John Bush. Throughout his 21-year professional career, John played for MLS's Columbus Crew, Chicago Fire, and San Jose Earthquakes, and has represented the United States on the international stage at the U-17s, U-20, and full levels. John was an All-American in both high school and college after being named NCAA All-American at UNC Charlotte. John played the first five years of professional career playing with the USISL, where in 2001, he was named Goalkeeper of the Year. In 2002, John was drafted by the Columbus Crew and won the U.S. Open Cup during his five seasons with the club. In 2007, John joined the Chicago Fire and in 2008 was named MLS Goalkeeper of the Year. John later signed with the San Jose Earthquakes and retired in 2018 after spending his last two seasons with Indy 11 as a player and assistant coach. During John's time in San Jose, the idea of high-performance goalkeeping was formed with a desire to give every youth goalkeeper the opportunity to wear top quality goalie gloves just like the pros at affordable prices. A decade later, the brand continues to deliver its promise with every product being designed, tested, and worn by John Bush. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Keeper John Bush. How are you doing, John?
1: I'm good, Noah. How are you, buddy?
0: I'm good. Um, so let's dive in. Um, the first question. What was your favorite team and soccer player when you were growing up and why? Well,
1: oh, that's a good question to start out with, Noah. Um, well, I think over the years it changed because when I was young, you know, probably your age or a few years older, you know, there wasn't soccer on TV as there is now. So my pool of players to watch and emulate was, um, you know, rather small. Um, you know, but when I was old enough and my first guy, I kind of looked up to was uh, a goalkeeper named Tony Miola, who was playing for the national team at the time when I was playing for the youth national teams, as my years went on. And, and as I traveled the world and saw other goalkeepers and games became more available on TV, um, you know, people like Casey Keller, a, a goalkeeper named Shay Gibbon, who used to play at Newcastle goalkeeper named Edwin Vandasar, uh, who was a, a Dutch international. Uh, all these guys I tried to watch and emulate, and, and especially guys that were a little bit smaller, not necessarily Edwin Vandasar, but guys like Shay Gibbon, guys like Ben Foster. Um, so it, it kind of changed over the years, but my very first one I would say was probably Tony Miola.
0: Oh yeah, Tony Miola was good. I'm pretty sure my dad had, like, a Sports Illustrated Kids card of him. I yeah, I'm,
1: I'm sure. I think we all did.
0: Yeah. I, I One of my hobbies is just, like, looking through sports cards, trying to find valuable ones and stuff like that. So could you share about your journey as a player? Like, where'd you grow up? What clubs are you played yeah. for?
1: So uh, I was born in Queens, New York, and then we kind of moved all over the East Coast. My early years went down to Virginia, Pennsylvania, back up to New York. Uh, and, and kind of landed in Albany, New York, which is which is upstate New York. That's where I went to high school. Um, through that period, I was very fortunate. I played for the youth national teams, played for the under-17s, uh, and then jumped to the under-20s. I had, we had a successful time with the 17s. I uh, went to a world championships in 1993 in Japan. Uh, after that, like I said, jumped to the under-20s. Uh, Unfortunately, we did not qualify, so that kind of cycle ended really quickly. Um, Went to college at UNC Charlotte in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spent three years there, really enjoyed my time. Uh, Decided to pursue the professional game, so I left college early after my uh, junior season. Signed in a team that was called the Carolina Dynamo. Uh, it was in Greensboro, North Carolina, in the it's the USL now, but it was called the USISL back then. Uh, started there, went up to Worcester, Mass., halfway through, just because I wasn't playing games in Carolina, so Worcester wanted me to go on loan there so I could play games. Uh, went there, Then after that, I spent three years in Virginia Beach. My last year in the USISL was, uh, was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And then got drafted by the Columbus crew, spent five years in Columbus, Ohio, went to Chicago, three years, Chicago fire, then San Jose for five years, back to Chicago for one year, uh, then ended up in Indiana, Indy 11 for two years there as kind of a player slash assistant coach. And then uh, I retired after that.
0: All right. So how'd you get scouted for the men's national team?
1: So back back then, uh, it's a little different than it is now. Back then, you we didn't have the academy system that we have now and we didn't have MLS Next and, and all that stuff. So you just played for your kind of local club team, uh but you would try out for it was you know, your state team. And so like in Pennsylvania for instance, it was divided into Eastern Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania. Um so I would try out for the Eastern Pennsylvania state team. I made that from that. When we had tournaments in the summer and played other state teams, they would pick the best players out of that kind of tournament. And you would go into what they called regional camp. And we were in region one. um, So all the best players out of our region would train together. And from there, that's where they scouted for the youth national teams. So it's a, it was a lot different back then than it is now. Um, Usually I think when you made the regional team, I think there were maybe three or four events per year for the regional team. And then again, from there, that's where the national teams would pick their players. And then we would have camps with the national team, regardless if I was on the under 17s or under 20s. Um, so that, that's kind of how the system used to work.
0: Yeah, it's a lot different from than it is now.
1: It is that, a lot different. Yes, a lot different, bud.
0: Yeah. So you were an All-American in both high school and college. Like, what did you notice about the differences in levels of play to be the best?
1: Uh, every, every time I stepped up from, for instance, from when I was in high school to the national team and then, you know, eventually high school to college and college to the pros, the speed of play increases
0: Yeah, and the
1: pace, uh, the pace of serves, whether it's shots or crosses. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so it always took me a little while a month or, you know, a few weeks, a month, two months to, to get accustomed to the pace of play, how much quicker things were and how much quicker things happened. And that, you know, made my, my soccer brain have to process things quicker and see things and, and, and read plays quicker. So that was always the biggest thing for me is just making the adjustments of how quickly things would happen at the next level.
0: Yeah. So in 2002, you were drafted into the MLS. How did your start of your career go?
1: Uh, it, it went well. Um, I knew that, Columbus had come and scouted me when I was playing in Hershey and we, I had a chat with their coach Greg Andrus after one of my playoff games in uh in Hershey and he basically laid it laid it out on uh, out on a plate for me and said look you know our backup goalkeeper is retiring at the end of the season we have a position open you know I've been watching you I want to I want to draft you would you would you be open to that he said look you'll come in as a number 2 uh but you know we have a very experienced goalkeeper there in Tom Prestes, but at the end of the day, long long story short, if you you know if you can win it, then you'll have the opportunity to win the starting position. so i I knew the situation I was going to. obviously, you know, I wanted them to draft me. I wanted to go there. And so you know they they drafted me, went into preseason with them, and maybe about I don't know halfway through the season or so. Um, things started to change a little bit and then Tom got, uh, rolled his ankle during one game. So in the second half, maybe halfway through the second half, he had to come out. I ended up going in, um, that was against new England. And then the following, uh, game was against DC United and it was a short turnaround. It was a Saturday game against new England and a Wednesday night against DC. So there wasn't enough time for Tom to recover, uh, which allowed me the opportunity to get my first start. Um, and, uh, I got a one zero, uh, one zero shutout that week or that day, Wednesday night. And, uh, kind of from there, that was my position to lose.
0: Uh, nice. That's yeah. So if you get an opportunity, you gotta, you gotta play big and get noticed. And so then exactly. you're like, so who's one of the toughest players you've ever faced?
1: Oof, there's a lot of them. There's so many of them it really just kind of depends on the style of player we're talking about, you know, for instance, uh, Peter Novak, I uh, used to play in Chicago back in the day. Um, I always played against him, never played with him, but he was one of the fastest I've ever seen with the ball at his feet. And so if he was ever on breakaways, you know, I, I almost didn't know what to do because he was just so fast with the ball. You know, do I come out? Do I stay in goal? You know, how do I deal with that? Um, as far as shots, um, You know, Edson Buttle, uh, luckily he was a a teammate of mine in in Columbus. Uh, He had one of the hardest shots I've ever seen. Um, Brian McBride was one of the best finishers I've ever had to play against. Um, Taylor Twellman was uh, somebody who every time we played New England, I knew that uh, every time a ball was served in a box and I was coming for it, he was going to run into me, you know, so I knew he was such a great competitor and would just, put his put his head in or his foot in you know in any situation so I knew I was always in for a battle against Taylor um so it just really depends there were so many so many good players you know Marco Echeverri in DC Jaime Moreno in DC Benny Olson um you know in San Jose playing against Landon Donovan uh you know who could change the game on his own, you know, then he was paired with Robbie Keane, who was one of the smartest players I've ever had to play against. Um So just just so many different variety of players uh just depending on, you know, the game and, and who the opponent was.
0: Yeah, those are a lot of big names. Uh, uh Taylor Twelman, he's a I think he's an MLS announcer right now.
1: He is an MLS announcer. Yeah, yeah.
0: he's always um announcing with uh, John Champion. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what's a big challenge in your career and how did you overcome it?
1: Obviously, for me, the biggest challenge was uh, I'm not the tallest. I'm listed at 5'10 usually, but I was just over 5'9. That was always the first thing that coaches saw. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, he he always got the, oh, yeah, he's a good goalkeeper, but, you know, he's small and he's going to struggle at that next level. And so for me, it was at first, I took it very personally when I was younger. But as I got older, I realized that I'm going to prove these people wrong. And I'm going to turn this negative into a positive. So what I would always do is kind of take a mental, have a mental checklist in my head of, of what people said about me. And, you know, the coaches that, you know, cut me or traded me or released me and their comments, and I just kind of kept in the back of my mind. And, Each time I proved one of them wrong, it was kind of like, you know, a list on a piece of paper. I would just cross it off and I kind of go to the next one. So I ended up just using that kind of negative, those negative thoughts and comments about me and turned those into positives and and motivation and fuel for myself.
0: Oh, nice. Uh, My mom and dad, they watch like this documentary about Michael Jordan. He like made up stories about people like you, you did, um, like you did something to me. Um, so I'm going to get you back. Yeah. uh, You can like use that to fuel you up and so you can get better. Absolutely. Um, so in 2008, you were named MLS goalkeeper of the year and in the best starting 11, what did that achievement mean to you?
1: Yeah, it was, you know, during that moment, uh, we were in a very good run of form in Chicago And when you're in those moments, you don't really, for me anyway, I I didn't appreciate the personal accolades. I didn't want them. I wasn't looking for them. I, I, you know, I solely wanted success as a team and we were very, very close to it. That, that year, as I look back on my career now, I'm retired. You know, I'm very proud of that because the year before Mm -hmm. when I got sent to Chicago, i had just come off my second acl knee surgery i didn't play a lot that first year in chicago it was more of a year for me to get back to full health and fitness and and feel comfortable with my knee again once i kind of got over that hump that first year and and realized that you know they were gonna make me the you know allow me to become the starting goalkeeper uh that next year you know it, it, it was just again more fuel for me to prove myself and and winning that so much of the work and so much of uh, of winning that goes to the guys that were in front of me the players that were in front of me cj brown baki samari all these very good logan paws uh, you know i could go on and on about that team but just the players that are in front of me that did all the hard work and all the dirty work so appreciative and so thankful for them and and they made our team very successful that year but again as I look back on it now uh and, and kind of the timing of it after coming off two years of tearing my ACL rehab and getting back on the field playing 10 or 11 games tearing it again uh just the you know everything I dealt with the physical and mental time I went through there that uh you know, it, it's very special for me to come back and win that award, um, you know, because there were some very good goalkeepers back then in, in, in the league that uh, that I looked up to that uh, I was able to win that award instead of, you know.
0: Yeah. So who are some of the goalies you, like, fought against for that um, goalkeeper of the year?
1: So back then it was the big big guys were Joe Cannon, Kevin Hartman, Matt Reese, Grimundo trying to think who else. Pat Onsen might still have been around. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, some very seasoned professionals that, uh, were were very good goalkeepers. You know, it was funny because our battles were not just in MLS. You know, our battles were also for the national team. You know, during that period, uh, it was. You know, obviously there was Casey Kellers and and Brad Friedels and Marcus Hanneman, but the kind of the next tier of the MLS guys during the that kind of whole period from 2000 I don't know three or four to 2008, nine, ten 10 in that ballpark the MLS guys were you know myself and Joe and Kevin and Matt and Nick and we just you know we were all all very competitive uh we were always very respectful of each other I think um we all got on very well but you know there was there is that competitiveness that you know you you not just want to beat them in a game but you know you you want to you want to win uh, and and be the number one goalkeeper for the national team or you know at least for in the MLS pool and you want to you want to win those awards um i think we all drove each other to raise our games you know at least i know they did for me you know because i would I would watch Joe and I would watch Matt and I would watch Kevin and, and, you know, it fueled me as well.
0: Uh, So it's always tough, especially for a goalkeeper, to get a starting position, especially for the national team, because there's only one position open and how many goalies on the bench, like one,
1: two? Yeah, usually just one other goalkeeper on the bench. You'll, you'll have, you know, you'll have two others on the roster, um, but usually only one will dress. So
0: we have some funny questions in this. Okay. Uh, so what's a funny fact about yourself that most people don't know?
1: A funny fact. I don't know if there's anything funny about me. Fu- a fun fact is the fact that I actually love hockey more than I love soccer. I grew up playing hockey. I just wasn't good. Um, I still love to skate when I can and and play every now and again. If I was better, I would have loved to play in the NHL, but I wasn't good enough. So, uh, But that, not many people know that especially growing up upstate New York and in high school, everybody during the winter, everybody played hockey. And we used to go play pond hockey a lot uh, when ponds would freeze over. So, yeah, I, re- I really love hockey. I really love watching hockey. I uh, love playing. it. So but not like I said, not many people know that.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. What's an, like an embarrassing moment you had on the pitch or someone you started arguing or fighting with?
1: There's been a few. I was in my early years I was a little bit hot-headed, especially in my early early days in the USISL, got a few red cards for things I said to the referees. So those ah. were uh, you know, those those were funny but not funny moments at the, at those yeah. times, but uh, I look back now and just kind of just kind of laugh because I was I was young and immature, um but fortunately I I grew up and uh learned to keep my comments to themselves.
0: That's that's definitely tough. I always get pretty mad at the referee when they make obvious calls that it shouldn't be. Yeah. So, what's a pregame routine you couldn't live without?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I'm I'm very routine oriented even now, but I was a, as a player, and one of the things for me, the biggest thing for me was I like to get to the stadium really early, and it's not that I couldn't do without it, but. I'd really prefer not to, you know. I would always get in forty five minutes before the rest of the team. I wanted to be there when nobody was in the locker room. Um, I I would change into my my warm up gear. Uh, I get my ankle tape very early, and then I would go sit in my locker, put my headphones on, listen to music, and just close my eyes and kind of meditate and visualize what I was going to do that game. You know, catching crosses, catching shots distribution and that was a that was a key part of me being by myself settling into my routine if I'm being honest that's probably one of the biggest things I would say outside of that probably my my afternoon naps when we had evening games I would always get a nap in uh, around about noon uh, and I would nap anywhere from an hour to two hours uh, before I had lunch and then head to the stadium but most important for me was just my my time alone in the locker room to be able to kind of clear my mind and visualize what I was going to do that evening.
0: Yeah, that's, it's probably really important. Uh, My dad has this like mental bank account where I write down all my highlights for my practices, Mm -hmm. games, I have that. And then I have like, he also, I kind of stopped doing it. I just kept on, I forget about it. Um, but I also did. My dad told me to like envision what I'm going to do, like mm-hmm. scoring goals, like all that. Absolutely. So it gets your mind ready for what yeah. you know you're going to do.
1: Absolutely.
0: But, yeah. So you're like, mine is positive and you're ready for it.
1: Yeah. If you're a goal scorer, you visualize yourself scoring goals. For me, it was, like I said, saving them, you know, whether I was diving yeah. to my left, diving to my right, catching a high ball. I, I went through a whole routine in my head. And everything was just a positive vision of me doing it successfully.
0: Um, so one of the goals for this podcast and one of the purposes is making soccer more popular in the U.S. So what do you think it'll take for
1: that to happen? More, most importantly, just time. You know, I look at it and go, even from the time I entered the MLS until now, you know, how many fans are going to games constantly? How many people are watching games on TV? um the popularity, you know, and and as time goes on and generation after generation, you know, when I grew up, my dad, you know, my dad didn't play soccer. He didn't know anything about soccer. You know, uh my grandpa used to take us to Yankee Stadium and so we supported the Yankees, we supported the New York Rangers in hockey. That's all we knew. You know, now you have uh dads and and moms and and you know kids going to you know atlanta united or charlotte fc or whatever and that's ingrained in them you know they're not taking them to baseball games they're taking them to to soccer games um so i think as it just becomes generation after generation of supporting your local soccer team whether it's mls or usl or whatever that's how you know it's going to continue to become more and more popular in america
0: i think that's true that's really true um, so what are you doing with your career after leaving the MLS? Like what, what's your job right now?
1: So yeah, I retired when I retired from, uh, Indy 11, I signed a one day contract to sign, uh, to sign with Columbus, to retire as a Columbus crew player. Uh, I, I was always coaching youth goalkeepers on the side because I knew that's what I wanted to get into. So when I retired from playing, I just really focused on, coaching and, and trying to get to the highest level as a goalkeeper coach. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, that's my full-time job. Uh, so I've been very fortunate. You know, I was in Indiana for a while. Uh, also worked with the youth national teams. Then I got an opportunity to go to Scotland with a buddy I play with. Unfortunately that didn't end up great, but a, a great experience for a short amount of time. Uh, now I'm presently in, in Tampa Bay working with the youth academy here. Uh, enjoying my time with the youth goalkeepers and, and teaching them the game. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know where my next adventure will be, whether it'll, it'll be here or somewhere else. For me, it's, it's all about just helping the next generation uh, of goalkeepers, uh, whether they're younger or older and give them my two cents on, you know, on goalkeeping and try to continue to learn and become a better goalkeeper.
0: That's good advice. Like you really want to train with you. Because like you really want to learn from one of the greats of goalkeeping, and uh, so our tagline at Soccer Life Goals is "Go through life with goals." What's a current goal you are working on right now?
1: Uh, My current goal is just to continue to learn and to grow as a coach. I'm still quite young as a coach, and so for me, it's. Trying to learn and get better each and every day, whether it's on the field or something I can do you know on the computer, you know cutting video or learning something by watching another goalkeeper coach um i I just wanna see how high I can get as a goalkeeper coach it, it, level wise and 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 be successful, just like I was as a player, so that's kind of my current goal right now is just to continue to educate myself and learn and grow as a coach.
0: That's the lot of coaches. I mean, they just want to keep on getting better, get to the higher levels. Yeah, just like you said, in your career. So what advice would you give your 12-year-old self as a soccer player?
1: Just enjoy it. Enjoy every day. Enjoy every moment being on the field. Um, like I said, I was. I went through my adversity dealing with three knee surgeries uh, where I thought maybe the, my career was done. Fortunately, it wasn't, and I think there were plenty of times throughout my entire career, and I just my when I was uh, youth, but my entire career, where um, not that I didn't enjoy it. I love being on the field. I love training every day, but I don't think I took time to enjoy the moment. I was always kind of so focused on that next goal or doing that next thing and proving people wrong. And I look back now, and you know, like I said, I was very, very fortunate. I played 21 years as a professional but it feels like they went by so quick and and 21 years is a long long time. Um, so for me i would just say you know to to a young john bush just just enjoy the moment enjoy the day enjoy where you are work hard and and you know whatever's meant to be and and will ha- is supposed to happen is going to happen at the end of the day.
0: That's great advice. Well, thank you again for coming to the Soccer Life Goals podcast. Remember, go through life with goals. Thank you, John.
1: You're welcome, Noah. Thanks for having me, bud. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Soccer Life Goals podcast. We appreciate your support. Please do us a favor by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Let's grow soccer around the world and go through life with goals. Let's go.